Before we kick off, we need to quickly give you a fair warning. What's that, Sean? This pod might contain some naughty words. It's uncut, and since we're just chatting with people in a relaxed and honest way, there's a chance. There is a chance. This show's 99% clean, but every now and again, one of us gets excited, right, and a word escapes our mouth? Exactly. So if you're listening to this on your morning school run, I'd probably switch to mastering business analysis and keep those top job dreams alive. (laughs) A podcast gentleman is old Dave Sabo. His episodes will educate you and your kids. You're locked into 168FM and listening to Business Analysts on the Ground, the podcast that brings you dope conversations about everyday business analysis. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2, with me, Jean. Me, Joe. And me, Adam. That's Adam, Adam Parkinson, Director at Helios and Director of Consultancy at Aegis Aviation Business Unit. What that means, broadly, is that Adam is responsible for technical, and business consultancy in the aviation and maritime industry. He's also a keen hockey player. He describes himself as a statistical anomaly and he's met the Queen of England. Adam, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you very much, Jay. Nice to be here. So uh, to kick things off, um, Adam, would you uh, tell us a little bit about Adam Parkinson? Who is this guy? (laughs) Uh, Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to uni? What was that like for you? And, uh, you know, where, where are you based at the moment? Sure. So um, I'm, I'm based in England. I was born in England and raised in England. So I'm sort of English through and through uh, generally. Um, although uh, sort of married to my wife, Jo, although she's originally from Zimbabwe. So I have some quite strong connections uh, sort of with Africa. Um, and I sort of traveled around quite a bit. I'm interested in traveling. So I've spent some time sort of in Kenya actually between um, sort of university and starting my job Um, but I went to so I went to school in Southampton I grew up on the south coast near the New Forest Uh, yeah went to school in Southampton and then um, from there I always had an interest in things like sort of maths and physics and sort of quite practical things and ended up uh, actually doing physics at Cambridge University which was quite an amazing a place to actually go and obviously learn and I remember walking around the streets and just you know, stopping from time to time just to kind of take in the surroundings and actually sort of think you know how lucky I was um, and I sort of did physics I, again I was sort of stuck between physics and engineering if you like um, with physics I think I've always had a you know an interest in really understanding the fundamental principles of how something works uh, and so physics really appealed to me sort of in that way um, although I like the practical application as well, sort of rather from the academic side. So the engineering side was, was always interesting. I was always building things as a kid, big fan of Lego. Nice. I still got lots of Lego. You saved it all <laughs> up, get it out for the girls now, for my daughters, trying to encourage them to play with that. Um, so yeah, sort of quite like, uh, taking things apart, understanding how they work, sometimes putting them back together. Um, <laughs> not always successfully. <laughs> Um, and yeah, after that, I, after sort of graduating from university, was obviously sort of looking for a job, never had a real kind of strong idea of exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, so I'd always had this idea of moving towards an engineering type discipline. Um, 
and uh, sort of looking through the advertisements at a university, you know, also had this idea about consultancy. It sounded almost sexy. It sounded like a cool thing to do, <laughs> uh, mainly because you always got the impression that they got paid a bit more money than everyone else. Anyway, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. was sort of the idea. A bit more respected, so, yeah. the idea, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I found this job, and it was uh, I think technical consultancy was kind of like the title, um, and it was in aviation. And I've always had an interest in aviation. Um, I can't remember exactly where it kind of comes from, but I've always been interested in being up high, kind of like climbing mountains as well. Um, so I think also understanding, you know, things, big metal things flying also still fascinates me how that kind of well, there's works. A lot of, there's a lot of physics in there, right? And there's a lot absolutely. of engineering too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so exactly. so, yeah, so I think, you know, those things appeal to me. I mean, I did, as a kid, did have a model aeroplane that I, well, I started building. Uh, I think I only finished building when I was about 25. <laughs> so it took, it took a long term. <laughs> it took a long time to do that. Um, but yeah, so I saw this, saw this advert and it you know, sounded interesting. So I applied for it and, and sort of got the job. But the, um, so this was, um, this was Helios. This is where I am now. So actually, um, in that sense, I'm quite unusual still being in the same yeah. company that I, wow. I started. But at the time, the company had only just started up. Um, it was sort of less than two years old at the time I joined okay and yeah so i was one of the first graduates they basically employed okay wow. um, so, so so you must have been on quite a journey with them over the years as they've grown and grown sort of what yeah size, absolutely what yeah. size are they now um so as as a company helios are about sort of 60 65 people okay um, our main office is in farnborough just southwest of london close to where i uh, live in woking um but we have a small office out in slovakia uh, and we oh, have nice. a small office in dubai um, as well um, but then about uh, what was it now sort of seven years ago the company was um, bought by a bigger company by this French engineering company Aegis so we're now also part of this bigger um, bigger company and, and specifically we work in their aviation business unit we we are part of that and that in total is about 300 people um, offer a um, offer over a much wider range of services in aviation and our bits the consultancy part and they're doing more engineering and airport operations yeah that sounds cool so actually you've gone from startup um through growth and then into mergers and and acquisitions yep. and things like well, that i mean obviously you're going to have seen a lot of cultural change along the way there i guess how the office has worked at, at those various stages right yeah absolutely and I, i've been so Actually, to start with, when we were first um, bought, they left us kind of alone. We operated sort of separately. And then about two years ago, they had a big uh, plan to sort of change, um, basically to implement this aviation business unit and to put in a new management structure and to really get us working much more in a much more integrated way. Uh, and actually, I've been sort of at the heart of that, actually helping to try and implement that. Um, and obviously, you know, being an English company, working in a French company, there are some you know, interesting cultural challenges there uh, and more broadly yeah. in terms of what I do we, we work with you know many different countries anyway in terms of what we do most of our work is not in the UK it's in Europe and the rest of the world so sort of working with different cultures and understanding them is very much something I've been involved in my time in Helios. Yeah so, so, so I want to ask I mean um, one of the things about this, uh, this series of this podcast is we've got a bit of a theme a thread that's running through it and what we chose was the theme of lifestyle, but sort of everyday lifestyle. So yeah. we're sort of talking to people who do things 
that are, you know, and I know airlines and travel is a bit of a blessed thing to be able to do, but it is still in everyday life of a lot of people. And I don't think we always necessarily think about actually what goes into that thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, that we interface with on a daily basis. We just see the surface of it. So, so part of this uh, podcast and and, and this episode is trying to dig a bit deeper into that and and find out a bit more about stuff. So, um, and I guess airline and and travel, you're in aviation. And I mean, obviously our mind probably goes to commercial aviation and helping poms get to Ibiza and other party (laughs) islands and, and stuff like that, you know, Every, every July, August, but um, won't you dig? Yeah, travel. <laughs> but 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 won't you dig a bit deeper into to sort of what what you actually do? I mean, what is it in the aviation industry that that you're involved with? So we're more focused on what we call air traffic management. So it's less on the airlines themselves and more on the organisations that sort of facilitate the passage of the aircraft. So you know, most people probably understand that the air traffic control. Um, yeah. So the air traffic control organisations, but also also the technology supporting that, and the sort of the what we call yeah the processes they they implement in order to uh, facilitate the safe and efficient um, passage of these aircraft. Um, the other part of that, which we're also quite involved in, and certainly in Europe, there there's a big kind of driver um, to make well produce reduce delays and also make travel cost efficient. Um, So specifically, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago when they sort of the European Commission sort of first started to implement what they call the single European sky, they were looking at America and sort of saying, well, it's cheaper to fly in America because there's kind of less inefficiency. So obviously in Europe, you've got every single state has their own air traffic control center. And some of those states are quite small. (laughs) So from the, if you like, the, the way air, traffic management was set up in Europe was not based along the lines of a most efficient regional system. Mm. It was all based on state lines, national kind of boundaries. Um, So, you know, they, yeah, in in implementing a program to, to try and remove some of those inefficiencies and and help to sort of operate on a regional level. And and we're, that's a lot of about where we've been sort of involved in helping try and make that a reality. It's mad interesting. I got. I mean, I'll be honest. It's it's not an industry that I know a lot about, um, but it it sounds like fascinating stuff. Like it must be like it must be a lot stressful, like pressure wise, right? I mean, we like like we all like deal with processes and efficiencies, and you know, contextually, when we speak about that sort of stuff, you know, that might mean that someone doesn't like the app we're building. Um, yeah. You know, but like the industry yeah. you're in, like it's not something you can you know. You're part of my French, but it's not something you want to fuck up, right? Yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, so so what is that like? I mean, is it is it high stakes that sort of thing? You know, in in terms of just the the general way with which you approach it, and you know, your everyday is is it a pretty stressful stressful gig? Yeah. So I, I guess so I'm not an air traffic controller. I mean, I've worked with oh, no, air no. traffic controllers, um, yeah. and I certainly I think f- for them, you know, you need a certain type of personality to do that job. You know, one yeah. that follows rules isn't going to go and do their own thing, um, but one that can take. You know, obviously, take the pressure. There is a there is a certain amount of pressure. And I think it's some people that that thrive on that, um, and, and certainly, you know, when you know, obviously, like you know, anything, you know, air, air travel is very very safe. Um, but obviously, when things go wrong, they can have a really big consequence. Um, so you know, when there are incidents, like things get closer than they should do, 
um, you know, the controllers can find themselves, you know, that situation very stressful. But again, there are good processes in place. They will, the organizations will, in those instances, remove that controller, put someone else in um, so that they don't uh, make the situation worse, if you like, because they're now kind of, you know, overstressed. And they have very kind of strict working patterns to make sure they have enough rest and sort of things like that. Um, but actually what, where I've, I mean, so one of the areas I work in is, is in safety. So doing, uh, say, making an assessment of the safety of changes that are made to the system. Oh. Wow. Um, but one of the challenges in aviation is, it, is you know, the system that's been in place is, is, you know, it sort of emerged over many years and the, the additional safety features they've put in obviously learned from kind of previous mistakes. But yeah. now when you want something like this single European sky that we work on that wants to make some quite radical changes, um, actually trying to get people to make those changes because they are so safety conscious and don't want their risk averse. They don't want to make those changes or they're worried about making the change um, because of the potential impact it may have. Then, then that's a challenge. That's a challenge in kind of what I do. Um, and, and kind of, I guess the excitement for me in terms of actually trying to help make those challenges a reality, sort of understand how you can sell that to the different people, how you can demonstrate that it is safe. How do you create a path from where we are now to where we'd like to get through, get to in the future? Yeah. I mean, it sounds so hectic. Um, and I mean, as John says, you know, most of us are tucked up nice and warm inside an insurance company where, you know, if, <laughs> if, so, if something doesn't go, doesn't go too well, you know, the, the, the impact's fairly minimal. Sure. Someone's like pissed off and they're, they're at your desk telling you how upset they are, yeah. but you know, it, it, it's, it's not life or death and potentially you're, you know, the sort of line of work around radar air traffic control is life and death and um you know could be quite a significant event that happens and and i think with within this i mean what i'd like to know it's actually a question i've thought about in the past as well but from an sdlc perspective software development delivery mm -hmm. that sort of stuff we, we, we obviously go through a life cycle right like analyze yep. design code test uat how do you UAT something like this? I mean, you're obviously testing it in some kind of mock environment, but but what's it like when yep. you go live? Um, so it would be different for different things. So I mean, I've I've been involved in parts of that life cycle, done some software development myself, not safety critical software. Um, but it would be, I mean, it would be very similar in that you obviously do have an acceptance test which would be more the um, against the user requirements, but, but run not necessarily with the end users directly involved. Mm. And so, so something like a radar, which is a fairly standard piece of equipment that once it's passed the acceptance test, um, they would in theory just effectively switch it on. But you'd obviously <laughs> need, need, to, need to plan. You, you know, but, but you, need to, you need to plan that they've probably got an existing radar. They also need to yeah. inform the controllers and, and that needs to be done in advance. You know, potentially any training, you know, if it's a new radar on how they use it, they might need to do that sort of training. Um, but so, certainly if they're worried that you would talk about, they might operate in a, what they call a shadow mode. So they might operate yeah, with the old parallel. system and yeah. the current, yeah. So certainly when you come to something like an air traffic management system, obviously different kettle of fish, um, absolutely they would, they would turn it on uh, and then continue testing with the users um, to really kind of stress test it if you like. Yeah. And then at some point they would go into initial shadow mode operations. So they'll be running two systems in parallel with the new one running as backup to build up that confidence. 
um, once they built up that confidence, they would then switch them over. So they'd go operational on the new system, but still have the old system running as yeah. a hot, a hot backup. And then, you know, that might take several months before, um, you know, they're confident enough to effectively switch the old system off. Although in an air traffic management system, you'd always still have redundant systems and a backup yeah. system anyway. So you can see there's many levels, you know, within ATM, you would have many levels of kind of redundancy and, and fallback. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, as, as you were talking, I'm thinking, yeah, we've got to be running something in parallel. And I was wondering yeah. how long, I mean, months make sense because I guess you've got to, you've got to reduce the risk mm. of any exceptional situation happening or at least <clears throat> having it happen and then knowing that you can cope with that thing that's been thrown yeah, yeah. at you. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. As you know, probably no testing, you can't test everything. Um, and obviously, the more <laughs> complex the system, yeah. the more possibilities, if you like, um, for combinations you need to test. Uh, and also you think with things like traffic levels, they vary seasonally. So, yeah. you know, it's a challenge for testing. It's how do you give, build up enough evidence, but in a cost effective way to allow you to actually go into operation. It's also why you also need to continue monitoring and the organizations will have monitoring processes in place where they're continually kind of recording and looking at, um, you know, I guess what we might call leading indicators. So we have in okay. safety, we have leading and lagging. So, you know, lagging is an event, you know, you've had an accident, if you like, it's fairly obvious what's happened. But, you know, as you get more advanced, you can kind of spot mm. the indi things that have precursor events that happened before that, yeah. that don't necessarily lead to the um, subend effect, but are indications that maybe something's in the system isn't going right. And, and, and obviously, if you can catch those early, then you can obviously yeah. fix things before they become a bigger problem. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's almost like using metrication to sort of like be proactive in, in that sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's where, you know, the people are trying to get to. It's a challenge kind of doing that. And again, it's something you build up over time. You know, you monitor you monitor the kind of the, the lagging events first. And then as you build up, mature your kind of monitoring system, you want to move it more and more into the leading phase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess much of... Um, my perspective was formed by Leslie Nielsen in airplane in, in, the, in the 1970s. But yeah, I, I, I I'm, imag well. yeah, I'm imagining the air traffic control tower, right? The, the, yes. the radar and a bunch of people sitting in there. Um, and they've pretty much, I mean, they've got their radar so they, and they can see the skies and yeah. they've got some visibility over the land, the runways in front of them. Mm. But I imagine that's pretty much an outdated view these days. And that, uh, there's been quite a lot of change around how air traffic control is done. So sort of where are we now in terms of this? Do I, do I need to be located at Heathrow or could I be yeah. in the middle of Poland? <laughs> uh, so that's, that's an interesting question actually. So, I mean, you need to understand there are different types of air traffic control first. So what you're describing is like the airport um, or approach service at an airport, which would be at the tower. That's what you see when you go to an airport and you see the big tower over the runway. Um, and actually that's, that's, uh, mainly kind of monitoring the movement kind of on the airport itself and the very final yeah. approach, uh, phase. Um, and then you, you know, away from the airports, you get onto the en route environment, which is kind of where you're, you're moving, it could be in the country, but you know, it's the, the level phase, mainly the level phase of flight, if you like, or predominantly level phase of flight. And that's managed in a separate place, an en route air traffic control center. Um, that's normally, um, so for example, in the UK, we've got one, one down in the south and one up north in Scotland that um, between them provide the service for the whole of the kind of UK airspace. 
So they, they can't see the airplanes at all. They're just sat in a dark, well, not a darkened room, but a, a room normally with no windows. Um, the lighting is controlled and what they see on their screen um, is just the radar picture, basically, uh, or the surveillance picture. So there are multiple technologies now for detecting where the aircraft is. Um, but going back to your point about, you know, where do you need to be located? There, there is this move to being able to provide kind of the kind of the service from anywhere. That's what kind of people are trying to do so, to, yeah. um, from a technological point of view. On the airport, what that looks like is you no longer have to be in the tower. You okay. could be somewhere else. And actually, they're beginning to move some of those facilities perhaps into the en route center. Um, yeah. And that's what we call remote tower. Um, <laughs> and then likewise for the what's happened in the past is everyone's developed their own systems and they haven't been not not necessarily that interoperable um, but now they want to be able to kind of um, you know obviously the, the the controllers and the number of centers you're running is a large part of the cost yeah. so if you could reduce those numbers of centers across Europe that yeah. would in theory reduce the cost of the um, that the the airlines have to play for pay for flying mm. So they are looking at being able to kind of make it more flexible that you could do if you like you yeah you could do a bit of airspace you know we could offer the um, air traffic control service in france from the uk <laughs> technologically obviously wow. that's not the barrier it's more the yeah. there's lots of other barriers more about the legal issues and the, the political issues if you like about doing that airspace as a service right B2B. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they are trying to move much more towards um that you know those ideas have been put out there yeah. you know and, and certainly again organizations are trying to move from some more monolithic air traffic management systems to more service orientated architectures to enable yeah. these different types of business models that's uh, so that's, that's where we are so it's you know really interesting it's not i'm not saying it's happening very quickly but yeah. you know this I, is I, what I, kind of people are talking about yeah and i just want to point out airspace as a service jean would be ass which i don't think is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can, we, can, we can work on the naming, right? It's <laughs> an interesting concept. Oh, it's, you know what, it's, it's super interesting. Like, it's, it's pretty foreign from a domain perspective. But as you were speaking, yeah. like, you know, I, I can relate to so many of the, I want to say, the topics and the stuff. Um, so I got like, to gotta ask, um, you yeah. know, like, what is, a, what is a typical day look like for you? Um, you know, <laughs> for what, me? Or, um, so I guess like, in my role now, so I still do um, sort of technical work. Um, so my, my role is, is more management in that uh, I'm now responsible for overseeing the delivery of all the consultancy projects within the aviation um, business unit that we're sort of integrated into. Um, so, um, you know, for that, I will, you know, if, if there's a new opportunity that someone's coming in, that's been brought into the business, we need to evaluate it. So if it's a consultancy mm -hmm. project, I'll be, I'll be involved in that. Um, I'll be, you know, helping, you know, working probably on my own sort of projects. I said I'm still involved, still do safety work. Okay. Um, so, you know, there might well be a customer meeting or, you know, helping one of my team that's working the project, you know, checking where they are, you know, giving them advice in terms of what they're working on. Okay. Um, there's then I sort of have a more local management responsibility for Helios itself. Um, so again, it might be uh, it might be involved in in just our internal processes at kind of kicking off another project, so yeah. making sure we've planned that. It's normally a risk based approach. You know, what are the risks on the project? You know, have we done whatever we can to kind of mitigate them? Have we identified okay. them? Um, and so That's again, amazing. from a, a local point of view, I sort of monitor. Oh, hang on, I just need to. Sorry, that was my phone going off. Um, 
just need to um, also monitor the progress of our projects and on a monthly basis we have internal kind of monthly management meetings to, to yeah. monitor the status of all our projects and the progress of the business uh, making sure we've got enough work coming in um, so as a yeah. consultancy it's you know we have a wide variety of projects actually from quite small things it could be anything from you know a 10k um, um, study up to sort of 10,000 pound study up to like a million pound study so it's quite a wide variety of kind of projects that we do yeah. and needing a variety of different approaches to them. Um, so sometimes, okay. you know, a consultancy project, we can have a quite light project management approach um, to the bigger ones, obviously need a much more structured um, sort of approach and sort of define milestones and a you know, full on kind of project management plan. Um, awesome. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So pretty, a lot of variety. Pretty, pretty busy day, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like. I, I, I mean, I, I think I've always been a busy person, like to be busy, uh, probably take on perhaps a, a little bit more than sometimes uh, uh, healthy for me. Um, but I like that variety. And actually, you know, it's one of the things that's interesting about consultancy and interesting about what I do and why I've probably stayed as long as I have, uh, you know, apart from the fact we mentioned at the beginning, the kind of the journey that I've been on, you know, it's been, you know, the company's mm. changed year on year um and evolved but the work we do you know the variety of clients we work for is you know is, is great so um Keeps it yeah, it's always a new challenge yeah exactly it's always it's always a new challenge i mean occasionally i sometimes wish for the same problem twice just just for a slightly easier <laughs> yeah, easier life all. but yeah but you know uh, but i know what i like about the job is you know it's problem solving that's one of the yeah. things that i really like doing and helping people out um and and so yeah there's there's always a new challenge each day along those lines yeah. um yeah that's awesome so one of the things i want to ask is if you could turn back time adam i mean uh, listening to your story at the beginning of this it almost sounded like a destined path in many ways your your two interests right physics yeah. and engineering and and coming dovetailing so nicely with the aviation gig so I, I, I'm not sure where this question is going to lead, but if you could turn back time and talk to an 18-year-old Adam, what would you tell him? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I would tell him actually just go and live life a little bit more, actually. So I think, I mean, I've always been quite a, a studious person, you know, shall we say. Um, and I think... I wouldn't change much, but I think that's the one thing that I, you know, I would say is kind of go and okay. go and live life and, and sort of a bit more, maybe not worry so much about kind of trying to please everyone. I think, so I think that's one thing I, I've always tried to do. You can't please everyone anyway. Um, but I think also, I, was, I mean, I, I didn't say, but in, in sort of, I ended up having a year out between um, school and university and um, basically because I missed miss my grades, um, but I was offered the place the next year. But, you know, it might sound, you know, on the one hand, might sound kind of disappointed, um, you know, for missing my grades. But sure. I think it was the best thing that happened to me, actually, at that point. Because that year out that I had was, was great fun. Um, I sort of did a bit of work experience, which I think is really important and particularly important for people coming out of university, going into jobs. You know, having been interviewed, it's the one thing. We're more interested in that, if you like, than the actual mm. kind of academic work they do a lot of the time. Um, but also I, I met some great friends that I'm still in still friends with now um, and did was able to kind of live a bit nice. um, and that um, 
I think then probably encouraged me to do a bit more start, you know, I went traveling when first year at university and, and starts to enable those sort of things and, yeah. and to see the world in a different way and just to grow up a little bit more, I think, before moving on to the next step. Yeah. I think everything sort of happens perfectly, doesn't it? And um, as you say, I think there's this tendency, and I mean, I do it as a parent as well. It's like this education escalator and you're just yeah, like, yeah. you're pushing that agenda the whole time. And then you, and then somebody might say a gap year and you're like, no, 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 no. You yeah, know? Yeah. But, but, um, <laughs> but there is like, there, there, there is so much value in just taking a step back, having a breather and bringing some different experience to stuff later on. Right. Definitely. yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think i mean i, I think of a, i'm not sure it's actually aerosmith's quote but certainly a line from an aerosmith uh, aerosmith song which is life's a journey not a destination um that i think does resonate with me and you know often come back to that and you know have to you know live the current moment and and just take things one step at a time and the same you talk about your kids you know i'm sort of very much there certain aspirations for what I, I want them to be but of course it's not about what you necessarily want them to be you know you need to facilitate their own growth and find find their own path and that might not be the path you necessarily yeah. want and that, that's quite hard I know that's quite hard as a parent to kind of remain sort of grounded in that that sort of philosophy and to not yeah. let your yeah. um sort of way of thinking take over yeah yeah no very quick lesson here i mean whatever you do don't tell them because they sure as hell won't you know <laughs> <laughs> that's reverse psychology yeah it's a uh, it's interesting i i want to flip this around um yeah. I, I like that question joe it's uh so 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 joe's asked you know if if you could talk to an 18 year old adam what, what would mm. you tell him but uh, i want to flip that around and say you know if an 18 year old adam <laughs> could talk to you today what would he tell you Oh, I see. That's even better. It would be quite weird, I think, seeing yourself in the future. <laughs> um, although, you know, I do look back at kind of photos of myself and kind of, well, it's a bit depressing now because I, I think I am, you do notice quite, quite a difference. Um, an 18 year old speaking to, speaking to the older version. So probably what, what you're doing with that beard, I think, probably at the moment. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, looking at you a bit funny. Um, uh, awesome. I, I, I want to track to, to um, we, we asked you for a bit of information before we started yeah. this, just so we could um, know a little bit more about you going into this. And, and you describe yourself as a statistical anomaly. Yeah. Tell, tell yeah. us why. What does that mean? Well, it, so it relates a bit. I mean, it sort of comes a bit grounded from my, you know, I like sports and I play a lot of sport. Um, started off mainly playing rugby and cricket. Now I've ended up playing sort of hockey. I think when I when I realised I was never going to be an international front row forward at ten stone and five foot six, that um, <laughs> I sort of you know decided I had to try my hand at something else. Um, and, you know, I've read, um, become more interested in obviously reading other people's life stories as well and, and understanding them. And, and a few, um, I think it came up. I've seen, I've heard this kind of statistic before, if you like, but it came up in a book by Ed Smith, who's the England former England cricketer and current chairman of selectors, and actually someone that was at university with me at the same time I was. Uh, and he was talking about actually, if you like, the role of luck. And I think he was reflecting on luck in sport and also between him and his sister and the different opportunities they have because they end up at different schools. Um, but he also said there's a lot of studies, certainly in the, U in the US, about the, the sportsmen there and how basically there's a, there is a, a heavy weighting depending on where you were born. If you were born early in the year, yeah. physically had a, a, you know, an yeah. advantage. Um, and there was a disproportionate number of people that were 
becoming professional sportsmen or doing well in professional sports that were born at the end at the beginning of the school year so for me I, I'm I'm you know certainly I'm on the smaller side and, and lighter side than average and uh, my uh, birthday's in July which in England is the end of the school year yeah so in that sense in terms of all of the normal thinking in terms of where I was in the year I was at in a disadvantage kind of both academically and kind of physically but it's never held me back in, in that well I've been you know I was successful at school did well sort of represented the school sports teams obviously did well academically um sort of did a bit of music and a bit of you know I tried everything you know I liked do a bit of everything so um awesome. you know in that sense I was you know a little bit I feel unique um and I don't know about you I kind of when I was growing up it's probably the thing every teenager goes through that you, f- you sometimes feel you don't fit in that you're a bit different from everyone else you're trying to find your place uh, sort of in the world uh, so I sort of it, rather than it feeling like it was something that was bad I think over time I've sort of grown to embrace it and quite like now it's quite sell yourself as someone that's unique actually can become quite good as you perhaps kind of grow older and you are trying to kind of push yourself out in the world and promote yourself cool love that i love that idea it's it's pretty cool i, I recently read a book um i was trying to pull it up just now i think it's david epstein uh, called mm-hmm. range um about generalists and i i, I think mm-hmm. that idea of like this different exposure to like you know different things um, I, I quite like that. I, I think it creates a lot of um, perspective and, you know, different sort of like insights. Um, I mean, you've spoken a, sp- spoken a bit about, I want to say, your broad range of um, interests and exposures yeah. and stuff. So I, I got to ask, like, you know, if, if you had a choice at working on any project in the world right now, um, you know, any industry, any, you know, sort of domain, uh, I'm sure a few will come to mind. But, uh, but what's the one that you would pick? And, and, you know, if you don't mind me asking why? Yeah, what yeah. problem do you want to solve, Adam? I think, I mean, like, <laughs> environmental problems are big at the moment. And I think that's, that's not that far away from where I am in kind of aviation. So we know, you know, on the one hand, you might see with Greta Thunberg, this might just be a, a passing phase. Personally, I don't think so. I think as, as a world, our current way of working is not sustainable. Um, and actually sort of reflect more and trying to learn about how capitalist society works and, and our sort of you know linear way of working disposable society it, it can't work you know there's only a fine amount of resources and the population of the, the earth is increasing so I think certainly related to that and, and actually I would I do reflect on this and I think if, if I sort of had the time to sort of go into something investigate it more I would quite like to investigate kind of economics and kind of how world economics works I've, I've sort of looked at a few articles but not really got into it but you know a lot of economics is based on a certain sort of a certain set of assumptions which actually don't really valid anymore now so i think oh my feeling is a whole economic model and the whole way in which the west rules and which the western world work are kind of slowly um being undermined so actually finding a way of a new way of working a more I'd sort of equitable way of working that is also more environmentally friendly is is less perhaps driven by just the continuous generation of of money at least yeah. um, it's perhaps a fairer kind of distribution and, and a different way of assessing value and value creation um, and I did cool. read yeah I did read that I think um, Iceland were thinking about changing the way they calculate GDP I just saw that as a title I didn't actually read into it but I think yeah, it fascinated me actually, and you know, it really resonated with me that you do 
we are going to have to change you know the way of way of thinking and how we do stuff yeah. um, so i think being I involved in, in any aspect of of that actually and again then how you facilitate that change on the world which yeah. is the area it really kind of fascinates me and why i enjoy doing my job is that like how do we make these changes happen and it's it's more than just the the kind of the theoretical part of what you're doing the technical part of what you're doing it is actually a society level how do you implement these changes yeah no, that, that's Active that's citizenship nice. right mm. global citizenship and it's um you know it's nice that your head's lifted up uh, and looking yeah. at these problems and seeing the world around uh we can get caught up in our work right you know sort of yeah, yeah. and then and then get caught up in a family when we get home and and um i think sort of days are too short lives are too short you know and we sort of have this focus and um in many ways you're trying to offset the carbon footprint there i guess a little bit and say well you know i am working in this world which makes this impact on the environment and what can we do to try and minimize that somehow yeah i mean as an industry there's a lot of focus in aviation on that both from the airlines and, and in air traffic management um you know some of the work we do is about kind of looking at well how can you make the flight paths as um, fuel efficient as possible. And that obviously minimizes, um, minimizes the carbon um, production. There are obviously quite a lot of technologies, people investing in technology. So the electrification of, of aircraft is very similar to the kind of the automotive world. And actually, I mean, I was at a conference this year to reckon that the, the aviation world is maybe 10 years behind the kind of automotive world kind of in that respect. But there are kind of proof of concept planes out there, you know, not full uh, sort of commercial airliners, but there are, there are smaller vehicles that are probably at prototype stage already. So it's, it's not necessarily that, that far off. Um, so, yeah, so there is, there is small steps in that yeah. direction from an aviation point of view. But I think, you know, there is a, there's a wider global challenge about kind of how we work and, and how we live our lives actually as well, which is, which is bigger than just aviation. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the, the problems are, are different per industry. The things that will be on our minds, you know, as um, the pros and cons of what we do are going to be different yeah. depending on, on the line of work that we do. Um, in our last episode, we, we talked with Phil Sumption, who uh, works in the sort of property industry around real mm -hmm. estate and, and stuff like that. And he's actually the, the person who seeded your question. So right. one of the things we do on this show is one guest seeds a question to the the next guest so it's it's cross industry so it'd be interested to see um how much relevance or or what the answer oh, me, me yeah. means to you here okay. but um what what phil was talking to us about he was um really talking about the line between too little analysis and too much analysis mm -hmm. so doing just enough but without yeah. getting in without overthinking without getting into yeah. analysis paralysis and um I'm not sure if these methods have any relevance in your world, but um, Agile, Scrum, Kanban, yep. stuff like that. And um, his question to you really is, what's your take on how much is too much when it comes to sort of requirements defining specification? Okay. Um, actually comes to requirements defining. I mean, I, I quite like um, almost like a... Call the right word is but sort of a, a hierarchical approach i mean not in terms of making a hierarchy in terms of like a waterfall life cycle specifically but the different ways of of writing the requirements um so you know often you do need to write them down at some point in a 
in, in a word or sentences in a structured way but actually um you know i'm thinking of an example that we did where we we had we wrote a functional technical specification but the if you like the functional requirements or the, the high level user requirements are really quite short probably over two pages just to describe the high level concept and then that was kind of broken down to a bit more detail and then there were some diagrams you know different types of diagrams to illustrate the concept but i always think with requirements there's you know you do have to be very careful are you over specifying the solution um, but the problem is when you keep it at an abstract level often it's too abstract and people don't understand what you talk about yeah. so i quite often like you know having the formal requirement but writing some you know description around it just providing some examples that aren't aren't the requirements themselves but help to illustrate the idea um, obviously that you're working on and then after that I think it is a process of you know the development team with the customer sort of going back and forth and sort of saying you know this is what we want to do but actually what is it we really need to do and it, it is a question of sort of prioritizing keeping yeah. the, the end objective in mind and uh, we actually you know are kind of gone <clears throat> so I was, was going to say, say in, in what you go what we <laughs> What, what, what we do is we, we often talk about an 80-20 rule as well, particularly in yeah. consultancy, um, where, you know, often uh, actually consulting is very different from the requirements, which is, is, is quite structured. And often the consulting can be a much more uh, vague type of product or service we're offering. Mm -hmm. um, and we do sort of think about, well, you know, actually we, how much value can we deliver? We can deliver 80% of the value we reckon actually for 20% of the effort, but trying to go that extra mile takes a disproportionate amount of effort so it's always constantly asking yourself what is it i'm trying to achieve what does the customer want um just just enough as you say to to progress to the next stage and then replan yeah. and, and i guess progressing to that next stage getting that that next date as it were in consultancy is the game isn't it you know you're going through proposals and rfis yeah. and, and you're competing with other people for the work so it's about just keeping your nose ahead, I suppose. And I'd imagine, I mean, as I said at the beginning of this question, the answer probably depends on the industry you're in. But mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the two things that were coming to mind as you were talking was one, you are in consultancy. So you, you, you need to make sure that what you promise the customer is well understood, understood yep. enough mm -hmm. so that those expectations are managed and you don't yep. fall short of them. And two, we talked, we, we, we talked these words earlier in the podcast, but risk averse, criticality, safety, mm -hmm. and, and the rigor that you need to have around the stuff that you do is, is perhaps going to be different to, to what's needed on a uh, property portal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was getting in, a, I was getting in a, a conversation online actually with someone about, in our industry, there's a, there's a, a framework for the concept development, um, particularly to assess new concepts and basically to evolve them. And it's basically an iterative process with, with, with gaze. Um, but, you know, we were talking about, well, what is an appropriate life cycle, if you like? Uh, and actually there isn't a single appropriate life cycle. And actually through yeah. having this conversation, we're actually through a, a particular life, life of a concept. You might use different um, life cycles at different stages. And actually, I think that's the skill is actually being able to understand which life cycle is appropriate for which phase. Yeah. and to be sort of mix and match them but often i think people obviously they have their favorite one or they you know they're trained in one and that's what they use and they just use yeah. it and follow it because that's what i've been taught without actually trying to understand like these are just tools at the end of the day to help us get the job done and you need to select the tool that's that's most appropriate for the job 
Um, so it. I think, yeah, so I think that's, that's very much where I am and, and kind of been able to take that flexible approach. And I have a broad, you know, understanding and, and, and sort of awareness of what's out there and to be able to use the right, the right tool at the right time. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I, uh, as you were saying that the appropriate tool for the appropriate time, a good friend of ours, Brian Neville, he uh, spoke at a, a conference a couple of years ago, I think, and uh, did this uh, thing where he pitched up with a toolbox and he was using the analogy of, you know, specific yeah. tools are used for different things and still use a hammer to, you know, get a hole in the, in the wall, but it's, you know, it's not contextually necessarily the best way to go about it. So yeah. I love that. Um, Right, I want to switch it up a little bit, you know, get into the, I want to say the fun part, not that the rest hasn't been fun, you know, but uh, but uh, we, we've, we've got a few of these, like, you know, Joe spoke to the quick fires and, and one yeah. or two other, you know, just fun questions. Um, I want to ask you, 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 you seem like you have a broad range of interests. Um, yeah. And I, I want to ask is what unusual habit or like absurd thing do you like love or do you do, um, you know? I don't know, um, I occasionally eat chilies just for fun. <laughs> some people that might, okay. be, might, might be normal but that's the first thing that springs to mind because i was eating one the other day <laughs> okay no, 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 nice awesome. nice and simple green or red yeah uh well that one was red but that's just what we had um i think i think i prefer red i prefer the color red so i think given a choice i would go for the red one okay uh, we've we got a big question around the color red later on as it happens oh, okay the, we're, we're going to ask you but, but, but we'll get there in a minute but uh, maybe this is a good point to, to ask you about the queen yep how did that happen? <laughs> what was the scenario? Did you guys get along? <laughs> well, of course we got along. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine, I'd like to say. Um, so, so actually, it was related, related to the work that I do. And um, we, uh, we won what's called a Queen's Awards, actually. So it was okay. our marketing uh, well assistant at the time. had, or Someone put us onto it. We didn't know. But you can basically apply for these awards that, that she gives out in her name. Uh, and we won for, um, we won it twice actually, we, we won uh, a Queen's Award for um, export because a lot of the work we do is outside of the UK, it's in Europe, it's around the rest of the world. So as part of that, um, you know, someone gets to go or a few people go and get to receive the award if you like or go meet the Queen and be congratulated by the Queen. <laughs> so um, it's, it's my kind of two seconds of fame as I sort of briefly was ushered past her, you know, if you like. Uh, but I must admit, I, I, I kind of, I, I can sort of feel for her a bit into what she has to do. Like she was, does many of these things each year. And in this particular occasion, there's probably about 400 people there. And she sort of shook the hand of every single one. Oh, wow. And, and, yeah, you, and you didn't faux pas? No, no, I kept my mouth shut. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, no, thank fun. you. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna dip into the quick fire nine now um okay so let me quickly explain the rules we're gonna fire yeah. nine choices nine questions no, no question, cho yeah. choice of two things you have to pick one you can't say right. you can't pass you can't give us an alternative answer no maybe or it depends any of that okay uh, and we're just gonna buzz through these quickly okay right. nothing tricky but uh i'm ready but, but yeah we, we can probably tell a lot by your answers okay so one <laughs> interview or workshop uh, workshop tea or coffee tea pictures or words words technology or people people cake or death cake <laughs> formal meeting or stand up stand up android or apple 
Android. Arsenal or Liverpool? Liverpool. Agile or Waterfall? Agile. Okay. 1-1, one, one, Jean. That means it's 1-1. One, one. Bloody one, one. hell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind taking that in into a half-time team talk. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Uh, Adam, it's been good, man. Um, uh, we're getting to the, you know, we're getting to the point where we, where we start wrapping things up. It's, uh, it's been super interesting. Um, you know, I must say when I walked into this conversation, knew little about the industry, um, but it, it, it definitely has, um, you know, piqued my interest and uh, it's, it's been, it's been really good to get a, you know, that sort of insight. I, I think Joe and I speak often about this idea that, you know, we're in such different domains and like spaces and stuff, but you know, a lot of what we do, a lot of the stuff we think about, you know, is, is very aligned. Um, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, we, I think if you're switched on and, you know, if you're focused on the right things, we, we sort of struggle with the same questions and, you yeah. know, we try and try and get to the same answers and, uh, and it's, it's been really insightful and, you know, it's, it's been brilliant to have you. Um, so, right. so we want to make sure, you know, you're a pretty interesting guy that we didn't miss anything. So, you know, are there any secrets we should have asked about or any other questions, you know, we should have um, pushed out there that, uh, you know, that you'd like us to answer or like us to ask that we didn't? Uh, I think there's plenty of secrets that you, you didn't push, but whether, you, whether I'd like you to ask questions about them is a, is a different matter. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll leave those buttons alone then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's mainly around sports and what happens at the weekend rather than uh, what happens uh, <laughs> during the week. Yeah. Uh, um, awesome. No, I, I, I think I just reflect on what you just said. I think, um, you know, I agree with you. Like, I've obviously focused on a particular industry and I know that industry and that's kind of where I am. But I think, as you say, a lot of the problems are, are sort of generic. And I guess going forward for sort of what I do, I think, yeah, I do like variety, do like kind of challenges and actually perhaps being able to kind of explore areas outside of where I am now, but to apply the same skills would be, you know, would be very interesting. And ultimately a lot of the problems of the people you deal with rather than the kind of specific game domain or the, the, the technical aspects of it. It's, it's all about the people, which is sort of reflected a bit in my answers in the quick fire round as well. I love technology, but at the end of the day, it's the, the people that probably makes my job interesting and what fascinates me the most which is quite interesting reflecting from where I came from I think in terms of being someone that was quite in the detail and quite you know sort of quiet to a certain extent and I like the math because it's black and white it's an obvious answer yeah. you know you, you know you've got it right or wrong but it should be people it's very much not black and white Definitely. it's completely the opposite so I'm sort of reflect on that in terms of my journey a bit from time to time oh, that's amazing that's awesome. All right. So, uh, so we've got a thing on the show, the seeded question, uh, as you're well aware, you've just dealt with yours. Um, would you, uh, would you quickly mind just sharing yours, um, with our, with our next guest sure. and uh, then we'll make sure they answer it. And, you know, hopefully you'll be listening to that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'd be interested in if you like what their ambitions were when they were growing up, um, and actually what they did to try and achieve those ambitions and how successful they were. Oh, that's a nice question tough one yeah <laughs> yeah we're going to hear nice. about astronauts and professional footballers probably you know and, uh, <laughs> yeah but that'd be cool oh, very awesome. cool question awesome. thank you yeah. brilliant well adam um yeah it's been brilliant chatting to you mate 
Um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, you know, if they want to reach out, find out a bit more about what you do, and you know, maybe uh, one of our listeners has uh, you know got a need for your specific skill set, um, can people find you on the socials? Can they reach out to you? And uh, if so, you know, where where would they look? Yeah, sure. No, no that'd be uh, be more than happy to. Um you know, hear from people that might be interested in what I've been talking about. Um, and yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think you're searching for Adam Parkinson and Helios, probably find me. Um, but also through um, the company websites, uh, which is www.askhelios.com. Uh, my profile's on there and there are contact details um, for contacting us in there as well. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's been great having you. No, my uh, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no, great conversation. Thanks so much for, for sharing with us and anybody who dares to listen, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, please pass the pod via Twitter, Instagram, or even sticky notes under the table in a review meeting. Yeah, look, whatever your weapon of choice, tag us with 168FM. That's the words 1, 6, and 8, not the numbers. You can also leave us a comment on the blog, 168.fm. We'd love to hear what you think. We would. Comments are gold. But that's it for now. This episode is a wrap. Until the next time, Jean, do you want the last word? Word. Say hello quickly. You need pudding. You're going to wait until mum comes back. That's Joe and that's Jean. That's a a friend of Joe's. That's his microphone. (laughs) That's a special microphone to stop it getting kind of to make the sound softer. Well, you have to wait for mum. What are you even doing? We're just having a chat. <laughs> right, come on. It's a good okay, question, yeah, right? boring. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Right, there we go. Hopefully, interruption over. Uh, come yeah. on. Get yeah, waiting. Mum, mum can give you pudding when she gets back. Do you want to close the door? Uh. <laughs>